This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders past, present and future. Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. Hey, we're your hosts, Reese and Caleb. Welcome. <laughs> so good to have you. Today, we are talking about hiring people, hiring employees, contractors, freelancers, part-timers, part-timers casual people. We are going to cover as much as we can in this episode about our experience, the do's and don'ts, the compliance, all sorts of things. And I'm going to run through... Uh, the Hebron Films six-step process for hiring and retaining great staff. I'm yeah. excited about that. Yeah, so am I, actually. We have very different experience with hiring. I pretty much only hire contractors, which we'll get into what that the difference between that and employees, which is you've, you're doing more contractors recently, but you yeah. pretty much got employees. Typically, I have only ever worked with employees, so people I bring on to the books, as you say. But yeah, at the moment, we we do a bit of both. We work with a lot of contractors, and we have two full-time employees. I'm technically an employee as well, which is fun and funky for me. I generally have worked as a sole trader or a partnership structure in a business, but we've been a year as a company now, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's interesting. So hiring can be daunting. Mm -hmm. Contractors or employees working with someone and financially committing to pay someone to do a job (laughs) is scary. It is scary. Like when you're first starting out, I remember when I first was considering hiring someone, it was obviously because I was getting more work than I could do myself. So I wanted to grow the business. And to grow the business, you need more people. And there's lots of options for that. But when you hire someone to start with, you're like, oh man, now I'm responsible for this person's wage. Mm. Like this person is relying to a large extent on the money that they make from my business and they're only going to make that money if I make sales and and then enough work comes in. And make double the amount that you were making previously or <laughs> maybe not double, but it's, I find it scary to think like someone's wage it might be somewhere between 60 to 120k yeah. obviously in the creative industries we're looking more at the lower end of that as for potentially for a for an entry level kind of position yeah. and it could go anywhere up the more senior you're hiring but that's a lot of money that's a yeah. lot of jobs you've got to add th- coming through the door and turn over heaps more mm-hmm. amount of money mm-hmm. to be able to comfortably pay for that why don't we go through and just quickly recap on the different types of hiring and just get some definitions out of the way. Bit of a glossary. So what have have we got first? The most common, full-time. I don't know if it's the most common, but it's the one everyone understands, right? If you're a full-time employee, that means that you're working roughly 38 hours a week. That's the the standard kind of work week, that's a eight hour day. And you've got holiday pay, you've got four weeks, holidays a year, you've got a certain amount of sick leave available to you. You'll be accruing long service leave. Generally after seven years of working as a full-time employee, you get like, like a month off or something like that. So there's a whole lot of conditions that go together with a full-time employee. Also, you get paid super. At the moment, it's 10.5%. And your employer withholds your tax for you and they pay that to the government so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and part-time is basically the same as that except you're putting a zero point something onto that. So, you know, <laughs> it might a point eight means eight days a fortnight, I yeah, think. Yep. Six is six days a fortnight. Yep. And so on and so forth. And so your annual leave and your sick days accrue accordingly to that, how many days you're working. So you won't get the full amount, but you're obviously getting more days off during the week. Yep. Casual is where it starts to get a bit different because casuals aren't accruing sick days or annual leave. No, that's right. So they're paid for the hours that they do. Generally, an hourly rate for a casual employee is higher because you are not 
paying for all the sick leave, holiday leave, all that sort of stuff, you still withhold their tax if you pay them more than the minimum tax threshold. Just don't quote me on this. Get your own financial advice. <laughs> it's 18 or 20 something. 20-ish. <laughs> 20, it's, it's yeah. 20-ish. I did give that disclaimer. <laughs> but you, it's listed on the tax file declaration form that you have to get. We'll run through like the couple of things that as an employer, what you have to do compliance-wise to hire people. But yeah, that's casual employees. Casual and the next one, we step into a little bit of a different world, which is contracting, yeah. using contractors. So a contractor could include a freelancer. It's basically just contract work. You get paid to do a particular job yep. that is defined before you start. Usually a contractor will generate a quote for that job. So they there's a very defined amount of money and time that, that the project will go for and usually paid on completion or a deposit payment to start or milestones might be set up for payment and that's paid on completion. Yep. The biggest difference between the employees and contractors is that limited time factor. So you are paying the contractor for an outcome and that outcome will be achieved in a certain time frame that is agreed upon. Whereas an employee, you are just paying them all day, every day, just to do continuous work. Yeah, whether they're productive or not. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it's a it's an important thing to note that a few industries have tried to be a bit cheeky and hire someone as a contractor, but use them full time. And that you can't do that. That's not allowed. Oh, yeah, classic right. one in the building industry. Yeah, not throwing anyone under the bus there. That's just a common common understanding. But what you can't do is say, I'm going to pay you as a contractor, but you're just going to work for me pretty much all the time. Five days a week. Yeah, because the big difference is you don't have to pay holiday, sick leave. You don't have to withhold tax for them. You don't have to pay them super. So all of those responsibilities fall on the contractor themselves. And they, you know, what happens is some contractors, they're like, I'm not going to pay myself super because that's 10.5% out of my pay. That Hey, I welcome to the creative industries, <laughs> all you self-employed people out there <laughs> who's true. paying their super. Yeah, <laughs> Look, we're looking, I, we're I, watching. I was not. That was me. I'll put my hand up right now. I was a sole trader or in a partnership for... How many years? I don't know, eight. And yeah, didn't pay myself any super. Yeah, I'm in that boat right now, mate. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do a bit of a end of financial year deposit to bit bring a, the taxable income down. Bit and, of a dump. Uh, bit of a super, super dump. <laughs> I like that. I like this. We've gone through the general terms. So you, you, yep. let's get into the processes. Mm. And just as we do that, I guess looking at your business, Caleb, you started off as a uh, as a partnership. Were mm -hmm. you a sole trader or was it actually a partnership? Oh yeah, it was actually a partnership. So Levi Ingram and I started a partnership. That partnership was called Al Ingram and C. Maxwell. Just rolled off, rolled off the tongue, mm. but I like that. <laughs> Whose name goes first? <laughs> no, but that was our partnership. And we had a, that partnership owned a trading name, which was Hebron Films. So when that dissolved, did you obviously came to some agreement with Levi for how that would dissolve and yep. then you took ownership of Hebron Films as a yep. trading name yep. and you continued the business as a sole trader from there? Correct. All right, cool. And as a sole trader, as you began to grow, you decided to hire someone. Mm. What was your first step in the hiring process? As a When we're in a partnership trading in a partnership, we hired a couple of people. Oh, I say a couple, but our first ever employee, shout out to Micah Gregory. We hired him, gee, 2016 maybe. And yeah, so he was numero uno, guinea pig. I learnt a lot of things as transitioning from just doing the work to becoming a manager of people. I learnt so much in that process, which I'll, I can touch on later. But from there, we parted ways. And then we hired Bailey Cook, who is the legendary the one and only Bailey Cook. He is full-time with us and has been for a few years now. But I think we started him on part-time. And then as the work grew and we found our footing, we yeah increased that to full-time because we wanted more Bailey Cook. Who doesn't want more Bailey Cook in their life? Get that cook all into my life. <laughs> 
That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So, yeah, massive step. What was the scariest thing and the hardest thing about hiring someone? Okay, this is good. So it's pretty simple and it's common as a as an employer or stepping into an employment journey and employing people, you think, all right, what's this person's salary? Say it's 60000 A common thing to think is that you go, I need to make an extra $60,000. And that in itself is not correct because you need to pay them. It costs you more than $60,000 to pay someone $60,000, but we won't get into the weeds. So you think, all right, I need to make that much more money. So that's what it's going to cost me. And you think, I don't have (laughs) $60,000. But here's the kicker, right? Say you are making $20,000 a month, for example, and that person is going to cost you over a year, they're going to cost you $60,000, but you don't need to pay that to them up front, do you? No, that's you need to pay them a weekly wage. Here we go. He's got the calculator out. He's going to do some quick math. We, we are two creatives talking about maths here, mate, not the uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's strengths, right. obviously. Uh, okay, so here's what you have to think about it. Um, there is a period when you hire someone that it's going to take them to become an effective employee. Even if they're really proficient at the job that you want them to do to start with, it's gonna take an adjustment period and a bit of a time period that they may be working for you and they may be doing training or they may be just fitting into your processes. That takes time before they're gonna be able to make you money back. So your goal with employing people is that they are an investment and you're expecting that you're gonna make more than you pay them. (laughs) That is essential. Yeah, it's pretty core business. So the way you need to think about it, an average kind of transition or initial period of onboarding an employee and the time it takes them to make you money back is generally about three months. It could be longer, could be shorter, but it's a good working rule to think three months is the time it's going to take this person to make me money back. So instead of thinking, I need to pay him $60,000, you only need to pay them $5,000 a month. That's a $60,000 wage, it's $5,000 a month, times three, $15,000. That is the potential investment that you're gonna have to make in that person before they're gonna start making you money back. So that's the risk, not 60,000, it's only 15,000. And even better than that, break it down into one month. You take it one month at a time. Can I find an extra $5,000 a month that I'm able to put on the line and potentially not, not see a return from until three months down the track? So that kind of makes it a little bit easier to swallow when you're sitting facing that potential of hiring someone rather than thinking, oh man, it's this massive expense. It is, but the point of an employee is that they make you more than you pay them. So you only need to look at the period where they potentially might not be making you uh, as much money, which is that onboarding process. And that for me was the scariest thing. At the start, I was like, oh man, that's 60 plus thousand dollars. That's a lot. It sounds like a big number. But once I got into that mindset of in investing in someone, not just hiring someone to fix a problem or hiring someone to make your life easier, you're hiring someone to grow a business and you need to look at them as an investment. Mm. I really have never thought about it like that because I always just look at the big number and go, oh my God, how would you ever hire someone? Yeah, that's really interesting. What kind of processes do you think are really important to get someone to that stage quickly? If you're looking at hiring full-time, part-time or casual, you obviously want to get them to a point where they're going to start earning you, like increasing your earning capacity as quickly as possible. Usually if you're at a corporate, they've got a HR team who are managing all that. But if you're Mm. a smaller operation, how do you go about setting up a training program for a new employee. Yeah, yeah, this is a really good topic because there is a huge, and for me, there was a huge transition that I had to make in how I thought about what I was doing how I thought about business from just doing the work myself to becoming a manager, to becoming a person who employed people, an employer. The biggest shift, what I thought when I first hired Micah, I thought, look, I know what to do. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a videographer. I can do the work. I'm just going to hire someone and he's going to do the work, right? So I hired him and I was like, all right, man, do the work. Off you go, (laughs) do work. That was my training process. (laughs) 
<laughs> I really had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and and of course, he's like, what work? What, Where what, do I start? What, what do I do here? <laughs> How do you do the do? And what am I doing? <laughs> and for a long time, I was, I just wasn't, I wasn't understanding. I was, I was like, I don't know why Mike is not doing good work. But what I was thinking is that I was just hiring another me who was mm. able to think autonomously and know what needed to happen. And I had no processes in place at all, really. And it was frustrating for a long time. And it would have been frustrating for him because he's like, you think, put he can in. do the job. He yeah. knows how to run a camera. I've seen yeah. his work. Yeah. He can make videos. Yeah. But put him into your business and he, yeah. he needs some guidance, right? He needs some guidance. He needs some, some direction. He needs to know how he fits into the machine that is Hebron Films. What cog is he? Who does he bring things from? Where does his responsibility start and end? And what's the expectations? It's all about expectations. So anyway, there was a big there was a big learning curve there for me in changing my mindset from I'm just a creative that does cool things to now I have to help and set up other people to be able to contribute to this brand. And that's a massive shift that I'm not going to go into all the kind of things that need to go with that. But just be aware, if you're looking at hiring someone, you're not just hiring a collaborator who's going to be able to autonomously contribute to your business without you doing anything. (laughs) You need to shift your mindset to be like, no, I need my job in this team environment as a leader is to set my team up to be the best that they can be. And that is such an active role. It is really active. But if you do it well, you will find that not only is it saving you time because, you know, your capacity as a business has grown by a huge amount, but good employees are the backbone of a great business and the they can make or break your business. So you need to treat them with that much gravity and that much respect because they really will make or break a brand, especially yeah. a small one. Yeah, exactly. There's a It's a massive leap. And also the investment in your time in writing the programs and mm. the plans and doing all the admin and stuff that comes with an employee, you have to take that into consideration too, that you, yep. you're going to spend more time doing other yeah. things. I guess you could probably have someone else help you with that too. Oh, big time. So there's two things you touched on there was the administration and systems and processes. So one classic thing is it was the same with me when I first hired and it'll be the same with most creative businesses most small businesses is that they don't have systems and processes recorded in place that an employee can come in and read and then know how to do the job or do it your way. There's a big difference when you're talking about especially videography or bringing someone into our business. There's a big difference in processes of how someone creatively operates and how we need them to operate to make projects efficiently to get things done on time and to meet quality standards. One of the best things you can do when hiring someone before you even hire them is just record out all of your systems and processes. And by that, I mean, write down in blocks how you make a sale or even if you're going to hang on to the sales kind of side of things and you want them to, I'll use just my business as an example, you want them to be a a shooter. So a, a, um, a videographer, right? What we did was we wrote down all of the systems that we use when a job comes in, we go, how do you do pre-production? Or what's the process of using our pre-production templates? How do you open a job file or a folder? Creating a job folder, where do I go to find the script? Where do I go to find the shoot? If they're not creating the shooting plan, where do they go to find the files of the shooting plan you've created that has the address of where the shoot is? All of these things that they're going to need to know, do you want to have to tell them and then write them in a book or do you want them to go to a place and they just jump into the system and they know how to use it? So there's a lot of steps to that and you would have to craft that to your own business and practice. You would, but every company... Every successful one that's going to grow well has systems and processes recorded that are not held in the business owner's head because mm. <laughs> everyone, almost everyone starts there, right? You hire someone and you're the person who has all of the information on how to run the business and how to do the job that you do. 
that needs to change. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's switch gears because there's going to be a lot of creatives out there who are like, yeah, I have no intention of hiring someone. There might <laughs> be some out there who uh, have the capacity for growth and there's other people who don't really want to, yeah. but you still might want to collaborate and you still might need to bring in other creatives on a per project basis. And that's where yep. we're talking about contracting. Yeah. And this is pretty much where my business solely operates as a hiring contractors to do very specific jobs. Right, Reese, walk us through your process when hiring contractors. How do you find them? How do you hire them? What do you need to do as a business owner? Oh, just let me look up my 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 documents that I've recorded my process in. I'm looking uh, at a, a bit of uh, air between your hands there, <laughs> Reese. I have some processes in place. They're not documented to the point where I could hire someone. And I think that's the beauty of contractors is you're usually bringing someone in who you want to work autonomously and you know that they can work autonomously. And I think that's probably the first key step is you need to bring someone in who has a proven track record running their own business, doing their own projects, and they can just be brought in and deliver on a project. But I guess the first step is identifying that you need someone to... So in my instance, I usually just connect artists and projects based on what the client needs. So I will go through a process of figuring out what the client needs before I talk to anyone else. They fill out a survey and we have chats and all that kind of stuff. And then from that, I'll be able to identify what kind of contractors I need. Is it an artist, an illustrator, a muralist, or whatever? What kind of style do they need to have? What Where do they need to rock up to do the job? So there's it's very per project orientated and then it's just about documenting what you want them to do creating a brief basically and this happens it's different for every single there's no template for this and every project's going to be different so you there is a bit of time involved every single project what's the job what's the brief what's the budget or maybe you need to get a quote from them as well. So there, there's some other elements coming in here. So you've got a quote from the contractor and they're like, cool bananas. I want to do it, Reese. Take me from there. What, what happens? What's your relationship and your communication with that contractor and what are your obligations to them after you've, you've said, yeah, that quote's all good? A contract is a really good start. My contracts are pretty loose, but I always make sure that I document what I'm going to do as a business and what they're going to do and also what the client's going to do. Yep. And in the mural example, maybe I'm going to prep the wall, but maybe I'm not. And if I'm not, I'm going to tell the artist, quote on prepping the wall or this budget includes you prepping the wall. And then if the, if, or if the client says, oh, can we save a little bit of money if we prep the wall? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You're going to save a couple of hundred bucks. So then when I put in the list, client will prep the wall. Yeah. And give them instructions on how they're going to prep the wall. That's so important. That when working with contractors, the key to success is expectations, setting clear expectations and everyone understanding what is going to happen. Oh, yeah, because it's very easy to come unstuck. I'm like, what? I didn't quote on that. I thought you did. That's what the job involves. No, you didn't say that, though. <laughs> That's God. right. Headaches are ensue if you do not communicate well what is the expectation and what you are paying them for and what they're expecting to do for that payment. Yeah, that's right. So finding the right people, sometimes you might have a go-to contractor, I suppose, who you work with, but the initial, the first ever job, that's where you need to be really clear and you need to set really defined timelines, budgets, expectations, because that first project is going to be the make or break. You're going to know am I going to work with this person again? You can set yourself up. You could have a really good operator, but if you don't set up the good expect, the, the right expectations and the job falls over, you they either don't want to work with you again or you mm. don't want to work with them when it probably could have been a really good collaboration. Yep. Yeah, what are some of the ways that you can set all parties up for success when you say you, you've never worked with this person before, you think that they can do a really good job, that's why you want to test them out, but what are some things that you could do to start with? Would you go straight in with a $30,000 mural in, in Melbourne CBD with someone you've never worked with before? They would have to have a really solid portfolio. If you're working on those kind of budgets, I'm probably going to go for like a top tier artist who has a very sound record in Mm. working on those kind of projects. 
But when you're working a bit more regionally and maybe there's some smaller budgets involved, it's a, it is a great way to test the waters a little bit. But we often find that it's a bit of a referral kind of game. Yeah, Usually gotcha. you're asking around a little bit, then you might find some referrals for who to work with. And that's mm. a really great avenue to follow, especially if, if the person you being, who's referring them has worked with them before and said, yeah, they're a good operator. That's a really great start. Conversations, I think, you can usually get a pretty good vibe of someone's experience and knowledge based on a conversation with to get the ball rolling and develop that relationship a little bit before you just jump straight into contract negotiating or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, that's so important to um, the way we go about it is it's a little bit different in that we have quite a varying scale of projects that we do so that we have the opportunity to test someone out on something really small that really, if they fail at it, it's not going to be devastating. Paint on walls is a little bit different because it's on there and if it fails, you need to kind of do it again <laughs> or take it off and, yeah. and, and redo it. But we may have an edit job, for example, or we may be looking at hiring an editor and the first thing I would do is test them out. So there's a few steps before you get to this, but... Um, uh, I would say a must it, when working with someone new is testing them out on something that really is a safe place for both parties. So it's a safe environment for them to fail that's not going to really be devastating to them, the client or you. And then stepping it up from there. Say I hire an editor to do, I would hire an editor to do a job that's not for a client. I'd get them in to do recut something I've already done before. And then that way... There's no harm done if if they don't do a good job. No one's going to see it. And do you actually set a budget aside to do that testing the water? Yeah, yeah. I make sure I pay everyone no matter what I'm doing, but it's not a whole lot, and it's not what you we will be expecting to pay them for really good work that they're going to do for us in the future. But it does cover their time. Yeah. Uh, cool. And they know that it's a test job. Hey, we want to work with you. We've got a little, we've got a introductory project that yep. is low stakes and yep. we have this budget. Are you willing to do this to just to test our relationship? Yeah. Is um, that how you phrase it? How it do you is, phrase it? Yeah, yeah, literally. I'll give you an example with Henry. When I was hiring for a video producer, they needed to be able to shoot and do a little bit of editing and creative. So a bit of everything, but I was really looking for a good shooter. And so I went through this process that I'm going to run through in a little bit. And part of that process was once I got my short list of people, my short list was three people that I couldn't really choose between other than what there was on paper and how they were to talk to. So what I did was I gave them all a particular project. I said, this is the brief. I said, I'm going to give you a test project. It's not necessarily going to be shown anywhere. Interestingly enough, this one was, but it was a really small project that if they failed on it, it really didn't matter. I wasn't going to show it anywhere. If they did a really good job, then it was going to go to the cinemas. Anyway, so I said, look, this is a test job. It may not be shown anywhere. You're not going to get paid a whole heap for it, but I do value your time. This is part of our hiring process. And if you do a really good job on this is what I'm judging against and this is how I'm choosing who's going to get the final job. I need to test our working relationship. And... Every single one of them was like, yeah, cool. This is fun. Like generally that's not mm. part of a, a standard hiring process. I have heard of it being used for graphic designers as well. They, oh, get, yeah, a, they get a test brief, but Great. they all, I think the ones I've heard of, they didn't get paid. It was like an yeah. unpaid brief. Pro- and that's pretty common, but I just don't like operating like that. It's, it's, it's more than okay to say to a potential employee, hey, I've got a test project. I need to test your skills practically. This is part of the hiring process. You're not going to get paid for it. Are you okay with that? And look, like if they think, yeah, it's worth getting this job to do these five, 10 hours, how many hours it takes them to do it. If they're willing and happy to do that, then that's fine. I just don't like operating like that. I think in your instance, it had a potential client. Like it wasn't just a completely mock made up brief. Yeah, um, that's another. Morally, it's much more appropriate yeah. to have <laughs> some kind of fee associated. Yeah, it was a contra deal. So we weren't getting paid for the job, but I did pay the people who test it. The reason I do that is because I want to set the expectation right from the start that we are an employer who is uncommon. 
we are a company who goes above and beyond to make our employees feel valued. So before they have even got the job, if they feel that we value them, then that's going to be a really solid foundation for good culture moving forward. So that's why I do that. Is that also for contractors? Do you do a test run for contractors? Yeah, definitely. For contractors, typical process is I'll get them on set in a job that is tokenistic. So it might be, it's something they can still bring value to. They might be a second shooter when we don't really need a second shooter. You just run in a second angle (laughs) that you don't need. Yeah, just so I can assess them working in the field. Or they might be a production assistant when we could probably do the job without one. It'd It'd be nice if we had one, but we would probably do it without it anyway. But that gives a really good practical test to how we work on set together. But I was going to say, you may be thinking, oh, look, I'm not in a position or an industry where I really need anyone else. Or maybe you think, I don't want to be a leader. I want to be on the tools for the whole time. I would be challenging you to think big and say there is a way for you to hire someone and not get off the tools as the creative in the business. Because generally, most creative entrepreneurs get into a business because they love doing the thing. You can hire someone to do the things that stop you being the creative maker. Oh, you're picking up what I'm putting down, Reese. This is great. <laughs> Set yourself up to do more of what you love by finding the things that you need to do as a business that you don't like doing. For example, the administration, it could be the project management. Say you are getting to a stage where you have too many projects on that your brain just can't handle them and you're out painting all day and you don't have the time to liaise with the clients, set up the new ones, or do all the administration. Hire a project manager and that way you don't have to think about anything other than the job that's coming up and doing that job really well. Just following the calendar of yep. what they set, here's what's coming up. Yeah. Another really good one that you could contract out is your paperwork Ooh, in terms of one. finance. Oh, that's probably the first one I would suggest you do. Hiring a bookkeeper, for example, There's we're talking about either hiring a bookkeeper or an accountant. It can be pretty simple to do your own books or do your own accounting. So you do your own tax return at the end of the year. But what I'd say to that is, sure, it might take you only a a small amount of time, but if you get someone else to do that, what could you be replacing that time with? You could be thinking about how you're growing the business. You could be making new relationships. You could be doing more work. And you think, a lot of people think, oh, look, it's, it's only 20 minutes or it's only 20 minutes a week or it's only half an hour a week and I've got pretty good at it. It doesn't take me that long. I'd say, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Get rid of that job because you might pay someone, I don't know, 150 bucks a week or something to manage your bookkeeping. That is money well spent. It's definitely about finding those areas where you can outsource and optimising it to suit your process. Yeah. All right. Let's touch on how to find great people. You mentioned one thing about referrals, right? There's a whole range of different ways on how to find good people to work with. And referrals or networking is one of them. But I've got two more that you may not have thought about that is going to be really helpful. There's one. Oh, let me guess. Advertise on seat. Yeah. Is that, that on your well, list? It's not on my list, but it, Oh, okay. And okay. No, but it is part of one of the things on my list. Okay. <laughs> See, that platform has been a dominating platform in hiring people for a long time, but it's not really anymore. People use it a lot still, but there are so many options, right? What generally happens when people hire other people, they start with the need. They're like, oh, I need someone now. <laughs> They're like, oh, I'm experiencing this problem and I need some help to solve it. And what they do is they go, who can do the thing that I need done? The first person that knocked on the door or yeah, came to mind. You're yeah, right. They can do the thing. I'll just hire them. And there is very little to no process behind qualifying whether that person is going to be a great fit for you, you and your business, what they can do, what the capabilities are. It's just get them in and just fix my problem now. <laughs> and that way you do that and you'll just end up with a lot of problems. But- Three ways to find people, great people. 
your network. I see your personal network and your professional network as a big web, right? The bigger your network is, the more people will be caught in it. The more flies you catch. (laughs) The more flies you catch. The way I've built Hebron Films is predominantly through my network. It's just by meeting new people and being fun to to talk to. <laughs> just being a good person to connect with, being helpful, being generous, being kind. I expand the people I know and the people that know and trust me. That web gets pretty big and before long, you know 60% of the videographers that work in Bendigo. To do that, you need to break down any comparison or competition that you have or that you think towards other people that work in your industry. That's what I had to do is I don't see other people that are doing jobs, the same job that I do. I don't see them as competition because that doesn't serve me at all. You get a weird feeling when you see someone else doing great work and you're like, oh, I could have done that work. I could have been paid for that. That doesn't serve you. That's useless. That just gives you a sour taste and can make you like bitter and all that nonsense. If you see someone else doing great work and you go, look, there is room enough in this world for two great videographers, two great artists, two great whatever, uh, and you're able to celebrate what they do, then that frees you to go, hey, what can I learn from this person? What if we could collaborate together? What if one day... I could hire them. What if I could poach their staff? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, well, well, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> that, that goes against having that open collaborative nature, mate. That's how, <laughs> you, make, that's how you make enemies in a town. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to rush through the other two. Networking is a great one. Just get to know everyone who does what you do in the place you do it. And just be friendly, be open, be generous, and break down all comparison and competitive, that, that kind of culture. The other one is work experience. We've taken on work experience students for pretty much our my whole business journey. And it is funny that now we generally have three to four work experience students a year. And some of them that we had in the early days, they are working in the industry right now. And they are my potential employees now. Not doesn't mean I'm going to hire them. It doesn't mean that's a long game, right? It, when you take on a work experience student for anyone who has done that before, it can be a bit of a pain in the ass, <laughs> to be honest. It takes a lot of your time. You are giving. You are not receiving valuable work from that work experience student. You are investing in them. Yeah, it's interesting that point it just reminded me that has worked in my favour a few times before, but in a slightly different way, running programs for youth yeah, in the art space. So getting involved in community at a grassroots level and actually being paid to do that by different organisations, youth organisations, employment organisations to run workshops and sessions that are about developing your own creative community as gives you the warm fuzzies at the same time. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and it, I've actually brought on young people to be contractors mm. and takes that training to a whole new level because I'm like, oh, do you know how to send an invoice? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, do you have an ABN? No. All right, go set up an <laughs> ABN. Then you can st- do an invoice here and send it through. And they're very new to the process and there is a lot of hand-holding and you have to be ready for that. But when you just need an extra set of hands or sometimes you it's not a high-stakes project or mm. you literally need some grunt work done and know you can bring them along for the journey and develop their skills and they grow and develop and turn into people you can really rely on and utilize in the future. Yep. And even if you don't work with them at all, you've contributed to someone's creative journey and that's an invaluable thing in itself. But I put all of that experience, you've had work experience students under the banner of mentor, mentorship. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to look at your current circles, community organisations, schools, yeah, opportunities for getting work experience students and think, who can I mentor? Teach them those things about getting an ABN and get them started in your industry because you are growing the pool of talent in your industry, which is going to help everyone, not just yourself, but it is going to be a really cool way to potentially find really great people to hire. All right. What's the third way? The third way is to always be hiring. Now, this is an interesting mindset shift. Generally, people think I'm not hiring now because I don't need anyone. 
But if you are always hiring, you say, here's an example, you always have, you have a perpetually running ad on Seek or you have a button on your website that says, we are hiring. If you say, we are always hiring, then you're going to attract people that are really talented at the time that they are ready to work for you or the time that they're available. The classic thing that people do is I need someone now and I need someone that's really great. The truth of the matter is that most people that are really great are already working (laughs) because they're really great, right? You want to find a really talented person the chances of the stars aligning that when you need them and they're available is rare as hen's teeth. Why would you be expecting that when you need to hire someone, all of this great talent is just sitting there waiting to be hired by you? That's not how it works. So if you say, I'm always hiring, it's more valuable to find someone and find a really talented person when they're available than it is to wait until you're perfectly ready and have zero people available. So just because you say we're hiring doesn't mean that every person that comes to you, you need to hire. That's not how it works. If you just get like lots of inquiries and expressions of interest, then you're just building up an understanding of who's looking for work, who's available, and there may be a situation where you may not be perfectly ready to hire someone, but you get an expression of interest off your job ad and you're like, whoa, this person is gold. And I know that even though I'm not ready right now, and it might be a bit of a step and a bit of a leap, that if I bring these people in, this is going to be gangbusters. That's seeking the opportunity rather than just hoping the opportunity is going to come to you when you need it. Yeah, that's a really proactive approach, but also could be a pretty scary approach to have that kind of out there in the world and, oh, yeah. and feel the pressure <laughs> yeah. to have to entertain the idea of hiring when you're maybe not in the financial position to yeah. do it. Yeah, you just got to break that fear off because you don't need to hire someone just because you're saying we're hiring. The, the fact of the matter is you're saying I want to find people who are ready to work. So if someone comes to you and goes, I hear you're hiring, can I have a job? You go, righto, no, not right now. Here's the process. Here's what I need you to fill out and we'll let you know. Um, You don't have to go, oh, that was a fake ad and we don't actually have a position. Use it to your advantage. You're the one telling the story, right? So if someone comes to you and goes, I hear you're hiring, can I have a job? You go, cool. Thanks so much for your interest. Here's the expression of interest form. Fill that out and we'll let you know if there's a position that fits you. Yeah, that's a really great thing. And I'm going to go and adjust my website after this (laughs) podcast recording. Work with Nacho Station. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I've been thinking a long time about building up the catalogue of artists and how to do that in a way little bit of just laziness. I have been relying on the networks and the Instagram feed of who's doing stuff and what I can see. But it's funny that you say that as well. People who've reached out to me and said, hey, I'm new to Bendigo or like Wes Franklin is an awesome example of this. He was new to Bendigo. He said, hey, I've done a mural before. I'm into hand lettering. Can I just catch up and have a chat and talk to you about the creative scene or whatever? Had a chat got to know him a little bit, saw his work, saw some real potential for him to do heaps more murals. And pretty much the week after we had that chat, a project popped up that fitted him perfectly. And so I've worked with him quite a bit now. And that was because he reached out and just touched base. Yeah. You know what? That's how I discovered Henry. He discovered me. He was a proactive dude, just like Wes. He was just like doing a gap year after high school and he decided that he wanted to meet and introduce himself to every videographer in Bendigo because he wanted to get into videography. So what he did was he just, he sent emails out and was like, Hey, this is who I am. I want to get into the industry. I'd love to come and just help you out on set. You don't have to pay me. I just want to come out. I want to catch up. I want to meet you. And he did that with pretty much everyone in town. And I was just so impressed. I wasn't ready to hire anyone then. But a couple of months down the track, I was like, oh, I need someone. Oh, that Henry dude. I'll put him into the pool of people that that I'm wanting to take through our hiring process. 
Yeah, that's amazing. So if you're out there looking for work or look like just reach out to people to work with and it's crazy how just making those connections, the stars will align yep. after that. Yeah, and you don't have to reach out and go, hey, can I have a job? That's not the approach. It's, hey, I'm a creative, I do this. I'd love to just catch up and meet you and connect with you. That's the first in. And I think vice versa, as someone who's employing contractors or staff, you can, if you see someone out there, you're like, ooh, that piques my interest. Grow grow your network. Yep. All right, this is an epic chat and still think it's going to be valuable to run through this six-step hiring process because we did say from the start that I'd do it. I reckon what we should do, Caleb, is run through the six-step hiring process in short format. And if you're interested in going into a little bit more detail, we'll do an episode that kind of breaks down the six steps of hiring in a little bit more detail. That's a great idea. We want to hear from you. Do you know that there is a way you can contact us on the Emporium Creative Hub website? There is a form that you can put in like your little name and a little message to us. So I would love to hear after I go through this process and after you've listened to this episode, are you interested in hearing the full breakdown of how to do each of these steps? Yeah. In particular, if you have a very unique hiring situation or a question, Mm. what predicament do you have in your hiring process or getting hired or hiring others? And uh, we can actually answer some specific questions. So go ahead and do that. Let's wrap up this episode with the six-step hiring process just to pique your interest for another episode. Step one, set up expression of interest and job description. I'm taking notes. I will be doing that one. (laughs) Great. Step two, create Loom video. Now, that's a little bit of a title that needs some explanation mm. very briefly. Why? What is a Loom video? Check out Loom on loom.com. It's just a tool where you can record. We spoke about this with Craig Barker, we actually, did actually, in terms of processes. Yeah. So why are you creating a Loom video? All right. You want your job ad to stand out in a crowd. And you want to communicate the value proposition of working with you over someone else. So you want to really communicate what your company's about and what you believe in, why you are even running a business. If you don't know those things, work them out. But in a Loom video, you can embed that in your job ad, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Seek, anywhere online. And suddenly, instead of just reading a page of an expression of interest form that everyone just posts, yours has a video from the person who's going to be hiring people and you're explaining what is cool about your business or what you believe in. So you really are able to start attracting people that align with your values and what you want to do. So that's step two, create a Loom video. Now, one thing I love doing in the Loom video is saying in your response, it's giving them a a process of how to respond to the job ad. So that way you can know who's actually watched the video when you get submissions back. You could say in your response to this job ad, I want you to tell me what your favorite color is. You could be more creative than that. But if someone responds to your job ad and they don't say anything about their favorite color, they haven't watched the video, and that is a initial step in the filtering process where you go, this person can't be that interested. They didn't even watch the video. And if they say black or white, oof, that's just a whole <laughs> other can of worms right there. <laughs> that's a can of worms with <laughs> worms that have cans in their mouth with more cans of worms. <laughs> They're not colours, mate. <laughs> step three is post the job ad and the loom on a online platform. Pretty self-explanatory. I've mentioned Seek and LinkedIn. So basically what you're saying is put it out into the world. Put it out into the world. So you get prepped. The first two steps are about getting prepped. The third is about getting it out there. Funnily enough, those three steps are the preparation for the six-phase process. (laughs) So it's, it's more than six steps, but that's preparation, right? You ready for the actual six steps? This is titles only. I'm speeding through this. So those first three steps were actually just the first. That was step zero. (laughs) Yes. You got to get prep. You got to get prepared, right? All right. (laughs) So the steps start now. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Phase one. You need to start the applicant journey. So you need to sort through all the applications that you've got back from your job ad. After you've got it out there, you've got to like we had 400 applications for a editing position, a remote editor position that we were hiring for. 
400. Mm, so was, sift through them. Yeah, how are you going to do that? Sort them. You need to sort them. So one thing I already said is if they didn't mention their favorite color or whatever you said in the Loom video, get them out of there. Like they're not committed to the journey. They may be super talented, but they're not. Nah, get them out. You want someone who's going to be interested enough to engage with your process. And then you'll always ask for references. Call the references. I cannot say that enough. Call them. Run through your line of questioning with them. All right, phase two is a 60-minute call with the team lead. So in my case, I'm a small team. It was just me and Bailey, but Bailey was my post-production dude, right? He was the kind of the lead in that area of the business. So all of my shortlist that I'd reduced, they would have a 60-minute Zoom call with Bailey and he would run through the things that I'm not going to talk to you about because I don't have time. (laughs) Phase three is an in-person interview with the whole team. So in that interview, you're looking for, are they a cultural fit? Can they communicate well? Um, Are they interesting people? Do you want to work with them? Phase four is assign a contracted project. We talked about that before. We don't want to hire you yet. We want to test you out on a project. So that is an opportunity to reduce the shortlist even further. The goal of this is to go from 400 or so applications to one. So this is how you're doing it. Phase five is giving them an offer, and that's the negotiation phase where you outline what you're going to pay them, what the conditions are, all that jazz, what their position description is, making sure you've got clear expectations on both sides. And then phase six, it doesn't just stop when you've, they've accepted the offer. The phase six is just as important as all the rest. It is the onboarding process. How are you going to integrate them in your business? So you need to have a process for actually teaching them the things that they need to understand. And it's about the leading process. So the onboarding, their first day, what does their first day look like at your business? And then beyond, what is your plan for leading and setting them up to succeed as an excellent employee? Thank you, Caleb. Very insightful. Wow. That was um, drinking from the fire hose. I apologize, but man, we've this has been a long episode. Yeah, it really has. And that's a great opportunity to thank our producer, Amy Chapman. Wow, who what a superstar. Cuts out all their ums and ahs. And <laughs> we've gotten better with that, but thank you, Amy, for mm. producing our episodes and putting them all live. Yeah, thanks, Amy. If, you li- if you've listened all the way through about hiring people and the different types of hiring, I think you probably might have a question. You've probably got a situation that you can relate to and maybe you want us to touch on it. So please do jump across to the Emporium Creative website where you can hit podcast somewhere on the menu button, ask us a question. And we would really love to have a couple of questions from the audience that we can answer. And if we get a couple of questions coming in, I think Caleb's process, we might be able to break that down and include some exact examples throughout that process from the audience. So please do that. We would really love to have people engaging with us and we really want to be answering questions that are relevant to you. So thank you again for listening and we will catch you again soon on the next episode of Country Creatives. See you later. You've been listening to Country Creatives Podcast hosted by Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell. It's produced by Amy Chapman with support from the Emporium Creative Hub in Mitchell Street, Bendigo. If you'd like to listen to any of our past episodes, you can visit us at emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. You can also contact the team there or find us on Instagram at country underscore creatives. We have an episode for you every two weeks, so if you'd like to be the first in the know, please subscribe to Country Creatives wherever you listen to your podcasts.